Okay. Tonight we're going to talk on the generation of shock and how everything around us, the world we're living in, everything is geared to shock us. I'm going to subtitle it, what you don't want to know category. We've talked about disbelief and we kind of interchange the words disbelief and shock, but tonight I'm going to separate them out. And I would say that a lot of you have done a battle with shock before. Like something's happened to you where you're like, oh, I got shocked. And it creates a different scenario inside of you, but you don't want to carry that through the rest of your life. And if you're in shock and don't realize you're in shock, it does something to you. It kind of shuts you down. And I've seen people years later, they're still in some form of shock. And I had enough of an experience with it that I started going around helping people get out of it because <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm kind of understanding it. So let's start for a minute about the difference between disbelief and shock. The world is in disbelief. What disbelief is, they don't have their eyes open. Like they don't have their eyes open to evil. They don't know evil is evil. They don't see it, they're deceived. They don't think the country's going down. They don't see anything wrong with what's going on around us. They aren't able to hear truth. And so Mario Morella comes up with an ideal for people in disbelief. He says, have patience with them. They don't know that the problem's happening. But shock is different. Disbelief is where your eyes don't open to evil, but shock is where your eyes are open and you see it and it shocks you. There's a difference between. So the people in the world are in disbelief, but the people that are discerning, that understand what's going on this time, have read God's word, realize this is what's prophesying is going to happen. Uh, you could say the conservatives are in shock. So you have one group in disbelief, you have the people who are in the world and they don't realize it. And then you have the second group that's a very distinct group and they're in shock. So people are reacting two different ways to news. One with, why is everybody acting so crazy? There's nothing going on. You know, people have been saying this for generations. You know, even Peter said that towards the end, everybody's going to be saying, ah, nothing's changed. This has gone on forever. They've said that this was going to happen. And the other group is going, oh my friends, I'm reading the the book of the apocalyptic doom has fallen upon us. And you have two very different groups. One's in disbelief, one's in shock. And so you can't talk to them because they're in disbelief. Uh, nah, 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 nah. They don't hear what you're saying. They've got their fingers in their ear. And blah, 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 blah. They're like, you've lost your mind. You're just crazy. And you're trying to tell them and you get louder and louder and louder and they think you're crazier and crazier and crazier. Because you're like, you don't get it. How can you not see this? This has been laid out. Where, I mean, you're not reading your Bible anymore. You're reading a newspaper. I mean, it's, I mean, what I'm saying is, it's like reading the newspaper to read some of these scriptures in the Bible. Okay, so these two different distinct groups, this disbelief, Mario gives this ideal. He said, appeal to their self-interest. No, maybe this was Steph that gave that ideal. <laughs> appeal to their self-interest. They're doing it for their career their salary. So leverage them. They don't know why you're so upset. Why have you been screaming? Why can you not tolerate this? They see themselves as full of the fruit of the Spirit because they're so peaceful. We say, no, I'm ignorant. I mean, we have just thinking, you have lost your mind if you can't see what we're saying. So they don't understand why there's so much trouble. So there's a strong difference between them. So I'm going to give you the opening concept is in Genesis 3, 7. 
that at the point that Eve ate the fruit, her eyes opened. Before that, her eyes were closed to evil. She did not discern the snake. She did not realize this is the devil incarnate. She did not realize that that's what she was dealing with. But when her eyes were opened, she went into shock. She was naked. She was in trouble. She suddenly realized, oh, God told me this was going to happen. And then her eyes were opened to the knowledge of both good and evil. So some people are, it's reversed, and they've just become in that. They don't see, like Revelation said, it's the opposite. They don't see that they're blind, they're naked, they're poor, they're wretched. They see that they have money, it's in the bank, everything's going good. They don't see that they're in misery and everything's going wrong. It's the reverse that happened after the fall. So you're dealing with two different groups. So there's this group who wants to stay blind, and they don't want you to wake them up. Don't tell them any different. They're happy in the state they're in. It's the proverbial ostrich with his head in the sand. They on purpose don't want to know. They don't want to see. And don't change their mind about it. You know who these people are? Your family. <laughs> it's the disbelief of Esther. In Esther 4.13, Mordecai had to get over one hurdle. And that is waking Esther up. And so here we are. Voila. We're in the time of Purim. That we are right now in this season. And I would say just like Esther got the shock of her life. Because she's looking out her window. And she's seeing everything looks fine. And then they bring her messengers and say, your uncle is acting crazy. You got to see what he's doing with his clothes. He's not acting normal. I mean, your uncle is doing every imaginable thing at the gates. And Esther's like, I'm embarrassed. Look, things are going good for me. I'm the beauty queen. I got picked. I'm in my year of favor. Things are going really well. Why would my uncle stir things up? So you see the cultures clashing. And this is what happens to people. Is It's the difference between what they see and what you see. And Esther's looking out her window and everything looks good. Mordecai is acting crazy. And that's why I would tell you, you kind of have to listen to those around you that are acting really crazy. If someone's jumping up and down, they may be seeing something you're not seeing. So in Esther 4.13, this is what happened. Esther got over her disbelief. And the way she got over it was Mordecai woke her up. And when she got over it, she did something about it. She took a risk, she got into urgency, and she made a quick plan, which is what has to take place. So what is the temptation to let yourself give in to the shock? Well, what do you mean by the temptation? Well, Esther 4.13 tells you. Mordecai says these words to her. Do not think yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than the rest of us Jews. And he tells her, your little ivory palace will not protect you from being a Jew. This law will include you. So you see what he did. He made it personal with her. <laughs> Just because you're the queen, this isn't going to protect you. There it is. What was her temptation? To comfortably sit back in her palace, protected by the great, big, seemingly impenetrable wall of her riches, power, and position. And to continue to watch her favorite shows on TV and use her cell phone. And to live in this world like I can just make it and let the people of God die. And this is what Mordecai did to her to get her awake. 
And he tells you the same words that are true for you today that I'm saying to you. You were born for such a time as this. Don't think it's an accident that God has you living during this time. You're made for it. I say to myself, I've been prepared all my life not to fail God at this moment. We've been chosen to live at this moment in history. You've got a purpose on your life. God has made it with you to have a word in your mouth, a message to help people make it during one of the most shaky <laughs> when everything around us is being shaken. Should the mountain shake, you have a kingdom inside of you that cannot be shaken. So let's go into the deeper waters. Come with me. So first of all, the danger of disbelief. The danger of disbelief is they don't see it coming and it catches them unaware. And I would say this is just the world, but I think all the Christians who have been reading some of those end time novels, <laughs> they go into shock. <laughs> you remember the group we called them the Hopiums. <laughs> and I don't like the cynical either. It's neither one. You gotta be the one that's in the word. So the danger of disbelief, that's why Jesus said it will come upon them like a thief. Because a thief shocks you. You don't expect him. You don't really even see. We were laughing that what a thief does to you is you just go there and something's missing. And you think, well, what happened? And that's how you know a thief's been there is you've been robbed. He doesn't leave a calling card. You know, he doesn't leave of, I took this, sign so-and-so. He comes in and he steals from you. That's how the devil does. He steals. He doesn't leave a path. He doesn't leave. And that's the idea of the disbelief. But let me tell you what God has for you. He said, not so for you. It's not going to be like that for you. Remember what Jesus tells you in Matthew 24? He said, a fig tree is smart enough to know the season. Even so, you will discern the season you're living Part of the way that you can know that you're hooked into the Spirit of God, that you're abiding in Him, is that you recognize the season that you're living in. Don't get cocky about it or proud. Mesquite trees figure it out too. Have you ever noticed they're the last ones to put on their leaves? Because they're never going to get caught by frost. Let those dumb fruit trees get <laughs> you know, frozen first. But us mesquite trees, we're never going to get caught by frost. See, God has an idea for us in Scripture through nature to tell us that the fig tree knows the season. So must you. You must discern the season that you're living in because it's not going to work to be in disbelief. It's not going to help you to deny it. What happens here is the enemy wants to do a couple of things to you. And let me explain this to you. What your eyes don't see and don't want to see is what I'm calling disbelief. Not only it's what they don't see, it's what they don't want to see. You know, I realized I was having trouble hearing God, and it's because I had a category still out there that says, don't want to know. Don't want to ask, don't want to know. And I would keep that category for safety for myself, because there's some things it was just best for me not to speak into. And one day the Lord told me, um, you've known from the beginning. Why are you acting like you don't know? You discerned what was wrong from the very beginning, but I didn't want to know that. I didn't want to tell myself that. And I was really quite shocked by it. But he told me, you knew from the beginning something was wrong. It didn't smell right. It didn't feel right. He says, if it doesn't feel like that, it's not right. But I didn't want to ask why. Have you ever dated someone with that pretense? 
<laughs> something doesn't feel quite right. Something doesn't just quite make sense. Something just doesn't quite, you know, hit the mark. But you go straight into it. You ignore all the flags on the field. That's what we're talking about. It's not that you don't see them. You just don't name them. You don't say, oh, I see this could be a little bit of a problem here. Disbelief. Now, that is different than what you do see. And that's a verse that I'm going to give you in a little bit. What your eyes see will drive you mad. It will make you crazy. This is shock. And that's what the devil has planned for your life. There's two plans for your life. The enemy has a plan for your life to steal, to kill, and to drive you crazy. And make you see the worst thing and make your mind just completely twist out, twist off. That's what his plan is for your life. Steal, kill, and destroy. But thank the Lord, it doesn't stop there. It says, but I have come, says Jesus, that you might have life, and not just the ability to suck in air, but that you might have life more like Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> like the difference between tuna fish and a Thanksgiving dinner. Like he's saying it's the difference between life and abundant life. That God has the ability to give you something to make you not go crazy. And it's a very strong, distinct line between them. Because these other two categories of disbelief and shock are not for you. This was not meant for everyone in this room to have gone through a case of shock. Somehow we managed to get ourselves in that don't see, don't want to see. We get ourselves into a category. What do you mean something bad's coming towards me? I don't see a thing. And that's where I'm telling you, let me hold your hand and get you through the reality. And let's start getting the word working in your life. Let me help you get through it because I don't want to go through it where you get shocked. I like a heads up. You know, God was sweet to us when he says, I give my prophets a heads up. He said, there's nothing I do on this earth that I don't tell my prophets first. He heads us up. That's that discerning of the spirit. That God is into that. He doesn't want you to be shocked. So I want to keep talking about this because what happens is you get shocked to your numb. And now I'm going to sound like I'm going to contradict myself for a minute. First of all, I'm going to tell you, you need to leave room to be shocked. Because this generation has been so shocked, we're not shockable anymore. We've lost our ability to be shocked. That's dangerous. That's called the movie industry. And you've watched every kind of movie and you've sat there with reality and you think you're in that movie. And it's become so real to you that it shocked your shocker. And you don't feel anything anymore because you've lived through each one of these experiences in the movie. And so you've lost your ability to be shocked. It's created this thing inside of you. They wonder, what does it do to kids that grow up on video games? Can they separate what they're doing in the video game and this? Can we separate fact from fantasy? I was talking to someone just recently and they told me, my mother actually thinks that the movie is what's happening in their life. And so you get to a certain age and it does this. Well, I don't think it's just your mother. I think my college kids have done it too. <laughs> they've actually, it's merged in there. What they've seen on the screen has kind of mixed up with what really happens in their life. Shock. So the first part about this is you need to leave room in yourself to still be shockable. It's not good if somebody sat on your shock button and just held it down. 
It'd be like Rachel Parks the other night. She just couldn't get off that button underneath my table. And she just leaves that button going the whole time we're playing games. That's what some of you have done to your shock button. It has been ringing for so long. Yes, that's what's happened. It just continually, perpetually shocks. So shock is what we deal with because we do see. The definition is human reaction to facts when you can't wrap your mind around them when you can't wrap your mind around what has just happened. It is the mental safety valve that causes you not to lose your mind. God created shock in your body to work for a reason. You need to be shockable. That's what causes people to go into shock, to keep their mind from twisting out. But it's only supposed to last a certain amount of time. You know some of you adrenaline junkies and you have adrenaline all the time. I had one of my guys call me off the mission field and he goes, why do I tingle in my hands and I feel stressed out and I'm weary? And I said, you have a lot of adrenaline. When you live on adrenaline all the time, it leaves a funny feeling in your arms, in your legs. I have no experience with it, but I told him what I thought he was going through. So what happens is some of you, you let your little shock button because you've lived such a crazy little life. I mean, it's like the drama in your life is hilarious. I mean, we could put you on a, a TV reality show, what's going on. Sometimes I tell myself, I can't be shocked anymore. I've heard everything. And it's just, I'm just shocked at the drama in your family. Shock. <laughs> Being conditioned to shock. And the enemy starts trying to numb you down. He's trying to get you where you don't have that safety valve that God created in you to shut off to keep you from being shocked and appalled. It's normal. It gets into this thing that Psalm 91, 7 says, when you start seeing people falling and a thousand fall on one side and 10,000 on the other, or when you see the great falling away in 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 3, it's just, it's more than you can take in. And these are special times that we're living in. So shock is really that thing that the eyes see. Something happens quick, really quick, to make you feel, see if you agree with me, powerless. Mike, I don't have any power over this. It's just going to take me down, take me out. That is the feeling that God does not want you to have. He died on the cross to get you forgiven so that he could give you authority so that you were not powerless. You know, when Stephanie popped into the kingdom, <laughs> suddenly she's just mad that she didn't know about this, that she didn't know she had power. You know, when you're a kid, you're pretty powerless. Unless you've developed a special relationship with God and you're living in a dark family, there's not much you can do. But by the time you're a certain age and you realize you have never learned about what God's word can do, the promises, the prayers, the authority that he's given you, it's a shock to you to realize that you've been living a powerless life. That's what we're talking on. So, like I said, you get to that point of thinking, nothing will shock me anymore because I'm listening to people's stories thinking, wow, they didn't bring any power to this situation. They didn't bring any strength to it. And it becomes the voice of the cynical. And you say, nothing shocks me anymore. First of all, you need to stay shockable, even in ministry. You need to stay where there's some innocence, where there's things in you to you know this is what life's supposed to be like with the Lord. 
I'm going to talk about something here that's gotten a little crazy. We're going to go to the disbelief crowd. Now, the disbelief crowd, we have to have a little patience with them because they're completely got their eyes closed. They don't know what's going on. And so you're trying to have patience to help get truth into them. But they're not allowed to have patience because it's not real patience. They don't have anything to be peaceful and patient about because they don't even realize anything's happening. So what we see is that something's being attacked, destroyed. If our freedom comes under attack, I mean, it's really a shock to us. Oh, you're kidding. We're going to lose this country without ever a bullet being fired. It's a shock. Like, you can't do this, this, and this, and, and it not work that way. It's got to have value. So you're into a shock. Let me tell you, but if you're the disbelief crowd, they hear the same facts you're hearing. They're not willing to move. They're not willing to fight back. They think they're impatient. No, they're in blindness. It's passive. It's apathetic. Mixed up. Thinking you're exercising patience and gentleness, and sometimes it's a little bit of a religious spirit. Sometimes we're talking about people that claim to be Christians. They're so happy that they're so close to God. They're so spiritual. They just live in this land. And you're just like, they spoke for 10 minutes and it sounded so spiritual. I didn't understand a word they said. And they have this spiritual language that they get into. And they think it makes them closer to God. And usually it's a religious spirit. It's not a fruit of the spirit. This group is called the Christian moderates. But to think that this is a time which calls for patience. We realize we're having patience with people that are in disbelief, but not us. It is appalling to us to know how fast our nation could fall. And to think this is a time that calls for patience on your part, we will miss our narrow window of opportunity of a time to cry out to God and to react and to be obedient. When David fought Goliath, He did not have patience with Goliath. Goliath had been out there for 40 days, every day. The people that were in shock, that were doing nothing, were in disbelief. They let it go on forever and ever and ever. David took his window of time, and he went immediately after the enemy. So to have a narrow window of time to react, to have this false sense of doing nothing will not remove the danger. It will not address the evil. They are in toleration. And toleration is not the same as peace. It does not meet the challenges of the day. And it will not stop the chaos. Their patience, quote, what they call their patience, is denial. It is a bad case of being in denial. And you are dealing with, you're swimming with, in an ocean of people that are in denial. So we think... It is the fruit of the Spirit on us, but it's really just a personality of easygoing, apathetic, could even be coward. And the one thing the book of Revelation says you don't need in the time of Revelation is coward. You've got to have courage. You've got to meet the challenges. Cowardly puts you on the wrong team. It tells you that very clearly when it makes its list of vileness, it names coward as number one. You're not meant to be fearful. It is not the fruit of the Spirit. It is the lack of willingness to face up to great evil. And we are facing great evil. You cannot ignore it. There is not one verse in the Bible that tells you to ignore evil. It says what to evil? Christians say, oh, I ignore it because Jesus conquered it. No, Jesus came so that you could conquer it. They're misquoting it. 
ignore, apathetic. Let me say this to y'all who've been through Sunday school with me. Being passive like Isaac. Where Isaac was just passive with Esau. We have to find the right level of courage. Because Rebecca saw it and she reacted to it. She realized that God had promised that the younger would rule over the older. She realized that two people in her family were going to do it wrong. And she reacted to the promises of God. You must take the promises of God and react to them. David said that he looked at Goliath and he said he's an uncircumcised Philistine. He took the promises of the covenant and he reacted. He said, therefore, it doesn't matter. I'm only four foot tall and this guy's nine foot nine. I'm going to react to the moment. Are your eyes being open is a different story because we're talking now about the true fruit of the Spirit. You will see the evil, but it will not change the atmosphere inside of you. It will not make you shaky. It will not change your peace of mind. You have a peace inside your mind, inside your spirit, inside your heart that the world didn't give, so the world can't take it. It's a spirit of peace that passes all human reasoning and understanding. That is what I'm talking about. It is unshakable peace. It is where you can hear God when things are crazy. With one of my friends sitting in here, who I had to find her, I had to get my mind to quit yelling crazy things at me because it was telling me, failure, you're not going to be able to hear. You've lost your mind. This is a thousand acres. You can't do it. I had to get my mind to shh and be peaceful so I could hear the voice of God. Because sometimes God speaks with a whisper. So, you've got to hear God speaking to you. You know, my dad told me, what will make you successful is the ability to hear God. You'll have that true peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You know, it reminds me of that time when we had someone that was hurt in a horse accident. And they cracked their head open. And the scene that we saw, the blood pouring out the ear and, and her turning gray and talking nonsense and then just expiring. And everybody was screaming. Now, they were screaming scripture, but it wasn't doing any good. With us screaming hysterically, even screaming scripture, it didn't do anything to help the situation. But the Lord told my dad, take your time. Come up on this scene slowly. It's going to be bad. And when he got up there, sure enough, she had already expired. And that's when my dad spoke the word of the Lord. He told death it had to leave. And before my very eyes, I saw the girl come back. And when they got to the hospital, they had been on the phone with the doctor. And he said, if that kind of blood has poured out her ear, because you could just turn her over and it was just all the blood was pouring out of her. He said, she's cracked her head like an egg. When they got there, they cleared the blood out and couldn't figure out where the blood came from. God so totally fixed her. You know, you wonder when Jesus raised Lazarus, what did Lazarus die of? <laughs> Forget him bringing him back. He fixed whatever it was that killed him. And you can see the Lord where he says, hold your peace. Because hysteria, that kind of craziness, won't have the strength that you need for the moment. So I would watch my dead move in faith and walk slow. I've seen him cry. 
But I've watched him do things that I've never seen anyone else do. I was raised as a little kid thinking, who is this man? Like, what church did he grow up in? The Methodist church. Where did he get this? He reads the Bible and thinks he can do it. I was like, he reads Moses and he applies it to his life. I, I'd never been taught to do that. I had a Baptist leg and a Methodist leg. I was just like, where does he come up with this? You know what? He had childlike faith. So when everyone is going crazy with the terror they're seeing and they're shaking, let me tell you, this is where you have that true peace of the Spirit, the joy of the Spirit. Let me give you a straight answer so you can understand the difference between the two. All right. We were in Israel. Philip was wearing shorts. They had told us, it's fine. Uh, those are long walking shorts. We can go to this Messianic church. It's a great church, and everybody in it wears shorts. So come on, just, you know, just get on the bus and go. So we went to the church. But there was one little problem. When it was over with, we stayed a little bit extra time. We went up on top of the city, and we were looking over the city. They have this beautiful prayer tower. And all of a sudden, I see the Orthodox coming. And the Orthodox still believe that they should stone people. They didn't get John 8 where Jesus said, don't stone her. I mean, they're not into grace. They're still into stoning. So here they come up the street, and they're screaming, and they're going to attack the people coming out of the church. And they're going to do it in the name of the Lord. And I take one look at Steph, and I look at the situation we're in, and I'm like, uh-oh. I remember she has children. And so anyway, <laughs> we must do something. So it's on Shabbat. There are no rides. There's no way. So what do I do? I run out in the road. And I, I'm trying to find a cab. I've got a hill of cab. I've got to get someone to see me. Well, it doesn't happen. And they're coming closer and closer. And they're in this large group of men. And they're wearing the dark suits and the hats. And they have their rocks. And they're screaming. And they want a target. And I look and I'm like, she's a target. And so I look up into heaven and I say, God, help us. Please send me a vehicle. And y'all, I couldn't believe it. When I cried out to God, sure enough, he sent us a cab. And the cab pulls right up and loads us in there. So I put Steph in the front because she speaks Hebrew, better Hebrew than me. And I sit in the back with my mom. And all of a sudden, I have a couple things that I do to check things. And I look, and he's listening to the radio. And those are not Hebrew symbols. And we're driving. Then I look at his cell phone, and it's not Hebrew. And I realize... Oh no, we're not in a Jewish van. We've gotten the car with the Arabs. <laughs> Who is this guy? And so I look for the sticker they have on the wall to identify the cab. It's not a cab. I'm in an Arab van and I'm not in a cab at all. This guy has pulled over, opened his door, let three women in. He, I cried out to God and I'm like, what happened? You're just like God. So I tell Steph, switch places with me. <laughs> this is our first trip to Israel. So I get in the front. So, I'm looking at the radio, the music, the phone, the letters, Arabic Hebrew. I look at the guy. I'm going to ask him the question. I said, why? When I got out in the middle of the road, the Orthodox were coming. I thought I'll make a little bit of a friend with him. And they were going to stone us. Here come the Orthodox men. I said, I look up into heaven. I cry out to God. And I ask him, please send me a cab. Why did he send me you? So I thought, well, I'll ask the question back to him. So I began working him over. Of course, he doesn't understand enough English to get us to where we're going. How would you like if I was saying, we need to go to East Tapiolt? 
And he goes, why? Because every Hebrew place is named something different in Arabic. He doesn't know why he's picked this up. And so I'm talking to him, and I thought, well, if anything goes down wrong, we're going to open those doors and we're going to jump. So Steph and I are on alert. We're like, how did we miss? You'd already heard my other story about this Arab van. And so anyway, so we start working him over, working him over, working him over. Well, we end up calling a Jewish friend who keeps hanging up on us because she's had this Palestinian guy that was stalking her. So she thinks it's him calling. Finally, we persuade her to talk enough. He could understand Hebrew, but not enough of just piecemeal of going through it. And she gets us to where we're going. This is our first experience in Israel. We get out of the van. We're looking at it. All of a sudden, we say to ourselves, wow. I said, did you have peace the whole time? Steph says, I had peace. She says, you remember when you prayed over him? She said, he said, when you were praying over him and you were calling out to God for him to get saved, he was staring at you and he never shut his eyes during your prayer. I said, well, it went okay when we paid him 40 shekels. And so we just paid him like a cow, prayed over him and all that. And we said, but we kept our total peace. Well, not to be just undone, my mother goes, I had peace too. Well, mother was asleep. <laughs> This wasn't peace. She thought we were in a cab. This was ignorance. And we said, this doesn't count. This does not count. We are in the fruit of the Spirit. You are in this thing. Oh, what you don't know doesn't hurt you. And she goes, well, I knew there wasn't anything to be scared about. And I said, because you didn't know you needed to be scared. She slept. We were alert. That describes it. If you wake up and get in shock and get hysterical in that van, that would have been terrible if we had done that. But when the eyes get open and we realize where we are, you can get into hysterics. But it's like yours truly, you know who in the van is like the liberals, the godless people. They're not in peace. They just don't know what's going on. I'm just saying their eyes are open. And they're telling you, I had the fruit of the Spirit. They don't know what's going on. They're asleep at the wheel. I'm going to tell a joke. We'll see if it fits in a minute. You remember the story about the old man? He's driving alone. And they said, they said he was in such peace. I can't remember something about the mother-in-law. I'll tell it to you next week. Okay. So this is what happens. And this is the exact picture of what's happening with the people around you that you can't figure out why they don't know what's going on. We would be vulnerable if we shocked that easy. So the first thing I told you is be shockable. The second thing is, this is what you cannot have. You've got to do a shock evaluation on yourself. Prolonged shock is a problem. Unresolved shock, number two, is a problem. If you get restless and coping and escape, it's not okay. It's a shock evaluation. You may have had too much shock in your life. I had a friend, and they'd been shocked over several things, and they couldn't quit thinking about it. So what she told me I do is I just watch movies all the time. But movies aren't curing it. Movies just give you a certain amount of time with having no ability to think. It's movie reality rather than life reality. It's just a natural defense. You're going to have to deal with the shock. The initial reaction to shock, it's a danger when you go into shock rather than to meet the situation with courage. Because what does shock do? Shock makes you feel powerless. 
You can't react to it if you're powerless. And if you're continually exposed to that harsh reality, it gives you a powerless life. What you bring to the table and courage the first time, you bring a little less the next time. And life keeps dumbing you down more and more, where you're less and less, where you have the authority, where you have the belief and the promises, and you start believing less and less. It's a danger when you go into shop. You get numb. You quit telling yourself the truth. You tell yourself you just don't want to know because you don't think you can take anymore. Let me tell you who you know in the Bible that did this. 1 Kings 1, 11. King David, at the end of his life, he went into numb. In fact, it was so bad on him. They were putting the wrong son on the throne. And he didn't know. He didn't care. He was a fatalistic man. He was resigned. He was unprepared. That could be you. How can a heart person, that courageous young man, have that happen? It's because the enemy starts trying to beat you down. Beat you down. That's why it's so important to come out of the shock. Shock has a profound effect on gentle souls. Our heart people are people who've seen too much war. And this is the descent it takes you down. In verse 16, Nathan and Bathsheba had to have an intervention. They had to have a talk. They had to go rouse David up and tell him, Don't you hear the bugle? You're putting the wrong son on the throne. You made us a promise. They had to rally the hero, the one that had walked out on the field as a boy and could do anything. Let me tell you, you're not immune to shock. And I'm going to tell you what to do about it. Matthew 24, 12, Jesus says most of the world will get to this condition. Most people's love will grow cold and their heart will grow hard. Too much lawlessness, too much crime. Just too much of it around you. Does shock have an answer? Is there something you can do? The shock culture resolved. What do we do about it? All right, this is what the Lord showed me. So this is describing it. This is the evaluation. And this is some of y'all saying, I think I have that. My hands are sweating. What is she doing? I didn't come here to be interrogated. It's because I've been through it. I know what it feels like. What is the answer to shock? Well, it actually came to me and it occurred to me when I figured out something that I had never understood. When mom was having those eight years of trauma, where the enemy got her into that still kill and destroy, they treated her with shock treatments. And I always thought, what a bad idea. I mean, I had that right on the level of George Washington, them putting leeches on him to get blood out of him right at the end before they kind of helped kill him. And I was like, oh, when my dad described to me those shock treatments, I was even more annoyed with what they had done. But I never could understand why would they do it. I mean, I just thought it had about as much thought in it as George Washington's leeches. And then I figured out when the shock thing happened to me what they were actually trying to do. When you're shocked, your brain just kind of freezes. You lock down. And when you're not coming out of it, what they're actually trying to do, theoretically, is shock the shock. That's what they were trying to do. They were trying to go pop on my mom's brain and make her go back to how she had been. Fun-loving, most popular, happiest family on earth. I mean, they were trying to get my mom to come out of it. So they were trying to shock the shock. Does that make sense? 
Because when it happened to me in my mind, just kind of locked down and I went into shock for about two or three days, I realized, oh, I don't want to stay here. I went and thanked my mother. Thank you for not giving up during those eight years. I said, did you ever have an hour where it let up? No. I mean, I was praying three to four hours before I had the strength to come in here and teach. Like the shock had gotten that bad on me that I couldn't even do what I normally do, and that's teach. And I really enjoy teaching. Like, that's the highlight of my week, but I couldn't get out of the shock enough. And then as soon as I finished teaching, I went right back into it. And so that Robbie and John would drag my body into the banana room, and they would pray for me, and I'd come out of it. Otherwise, I would have been three or four more hours in prayer to get it off of me again. But they could get it off me in about 45 minutes. I thought, it's going to be a long life. <laughs> this is not good. <laughs> I'm like my dad. Let's think of something. That's where my dad came up with the idea of deliverance because he was like, this is not working well. So this was happening to me, and I'm like, I've got this thing called triggers. And they're hitting my triggers. Like you go along and something is sad, or there's music, or there's something, and it hits your triggers. And you start triggering <laughs> Shaking. <laughs> I'm making up language, but because <laughs> I have a powerful command of the English language, so I'm helping y'all. So it's like the procedure of shocking the shock, and that's the revelation I got on, on shock. So usually when they do something in the natural, there's actually a spiritual ramification. There's a reason for doing it. So we're going to start with that aspect. So the triggers, the heart. Feel the pain after it happened. I had one guy say he had been in Vietnam, and 20 years later, the fear attacked him, and he went into the shock. Read Andrew Womack's story. Yeah, that wasn't good. It's when the fear from the past comes up on you, because he never had it at the time, but later he got to thinking, well, that guy was shooting everything up, and I was the only one down in the hole with him. And he started thinking, what could have happened? you got to be careful. This shock thing tries to get loose in the hole. He was down in the ground in a secure bunker, and the guy just starts blasting him. And he went through Vietnam as a praying, word-believing Christian. But one day, the thought of what could have happened got a hold of him. So, let me tell you, you've got to be careful with these triggers. Let me tell you something about pain. You think pain is an enemy. And I actually wrote a Bible study on good pain and bad pain. But let me tell you what I'm going to define pain as. Pain is an indicator Use it as an indicator. When you're in pain, it's not to be ignored. It's an indicator of something unresolved. Let's call it this. It's a slow leak. And it's not good for you to stay in perpetual pain. You can't be around it without it starting to shock you all over again because it hits triggers and you have memory flashes. You think you're never going to come out of it. But there's hope. You can come completely out of it. There may be even a side of you think, I don't want to come out of it. But you do. It's buoyancy. It's a certain kind of fish. And when you dissect the fish and cut him open, he has a little floater in there. It makes him buoyant. And it makes him go to the surface. It makes him not drown, if there's such a thing as a fish not drowning. <laughs> and let me tell you, that's your little hope that God has put inside of you. Hope. It makes you buoyant. And so you think this is never going to stop in the natural you shock the shock. And so I did something that day after three days of it. I threatened it. And I told my shock inside of me, I'm going to shock the shock. I'm going to shock the shock. I'm going to do what they were doing. 
and I've got to figure out how to do it, but my brain is frozen. So I'm going to take one of those, uh, what, what do you call it, that uh, your mother uses on the neighbor's dog? <laughs> Hot. <laughs> Hot shot of a cow, you know. Then, uh, <laughs> I was entertaining. Then, you know, that you put it and you, you shock the shock on it. Okay. What the world does is they medicate you down, 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 down. So it's like Johnny Cash, you know. They medicate you down. And so then your brain starts bouncing and you can't sleep. And people come in here and I'm like, oh, and I never knew it. They're in shock. And let me tell you something about shock. Am I preaching good? Okay, encourage me. All right. I always look at Job. Nothing feels this personal as shock. It feels personal. It gets in your business. It's like someone meddling. They should, did someone tell on me? I mean, some people go, I think somebody told on me. What's glorious on a Bible study night, everybody comes to me and says, were you preaching to me? Were you talking about me? Uh-huh. I just tell them all, yes, it was you. Because God gets personal. But the devil tries to copy him, and shock gets personal. And it slips inside your armor sometimes. Even King David, it tries to slip in a crack. And to the extent we have on rose-colored glasses, the reality hits. And let me tell you what it does to you. It makes everything suspect. You narrow your eyes. You don't trust anyone. Like you used to be a trusting person, but you have a real narrow eyes now, and you're looking at everybody. You don't trust them. And everything has a different perspective because what happens with shock, it gets past your security. You know, you have this little protected area in your heart. Maybe a little box around something. You're not going to let anybody go there. You have ways to keep them away, this protected area. And shock hits your guarded area. And guess what happens? Nothing else hurts because this hurts so bad. You're off guard. It's unexpected. No one comes after us emotionally, so we stay there. No one knows emotionally when you're going through this. And you can't find an emotionally safe place. You're in a trap. You're stuck. There's fear. And guess what else you have? Panic attacks. People go, I'm having a panic attack. <laughs> I've never had a panic attack. I'm having a panic attack. <laughs> I'm laughing. It's not funny. So <laughs> it's a trap. People medicate you for it. It doesn't solve it long term. Shooting us down causes us to fail. And you get under it. Have you ever felt under it where you can't get out? It's like the heel of the boot. You know, I see extreme amounts of shock in soldiers. And they can't be around pain. They can't be around anything like that anymore. That's how you can tell when you're not emotionally healed. Because your triggers are there. And you hear it and you react. Like I have some people that had such a bad childhood, they won't watch Schindler's List with me. Sometimes you can't listen to movies with love stories to them. You can't hear the love songs. The soldiers that I met were from Israel. They had fought on Temple Mount, 67. They want to come hunting here. They want us to put them on horses and hunt for deer because they don't get to hunt for deer in Israel. That sounded so fun to them. But they said, we can't kill the deer when we find it. We'll use laser. They'd seen too much. Shop. Places you can't go. Getting under it. You know, there was a little boy that came to us, six years of age, Alex. And 
he would cry all the time. And his brother was like, my brother is such a crybaby. I think his brother's about eight or nine. You know how little boys are, they hit each other. Especially brothers, they fight and they wrestle. But every time Alex would be hit, Alex would go crazy because he could not take the pain from his brother. And then he started having emotional problems and he was being bullied at school and he just went on and on. And Alex's life, he loved the Lord, but he was not emotionally stable. So they brought him to us for deliverance. And I asked Alex, what voice do you hear when your brother hits you? And the voice he heard is, why would daddy leave me? His brother would hit him, but he'd hear, why did my daddy leave me? That one thought. And what the devil does is he compounds it. So we cast those spirits out of him. They told us it was like a miracle cure. They said two weeks later, his brother's beating him up and he's laughing and hitting back. Because I told him, this is what you answer that thought with every time the devil says it to you. Because that's what happens when you start getting under it. It's normal for your brother to hit you when you're nine. That's normal. But you hear something that's not normal. And you've got to answer that voice. And that's what we design for your life is an answer. You don't leave things unanswered. Because if you do, it's compounded. It's not your brother hitting you, it's your daddy leaving you. And you fill in the blanks with whatever this is. But that's how the devil does your life. And that's how people get so depressed that they go down into the hole because they hear double voices. One thing's happening to them, but it's the straw that breaks the camel's back and it spins them off. You've got to get it off. You've got to have, this is where you've got to have a friend to help you get this off of you. One guy, he got betrayed. And it was betrayal, but to calm it down, food, girlfriend, still can't sit still works to escape betrayal that was the god another girl when she got betrayed hate mean oh my gosh mean vile bitter angry at god shock shock of the betrayal and they're kind of walking little zombies around suicide put it on the table suicide is the ultimate shock it's done on purpose, the shock. I'm going to say something terrible. Just know it. Brace yourself. But I'm going to say it terrible about suicide. Suicide is the gift that keeps on giving. And it's straight out of the pit of hell. Because it never stops in a family. Shock, 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 shock. It's on purpose meant to shock you. You have to walk away from that. And you may tell yourself, I can't quit thinking it. You've got to get delivered from shock. Shock's driving it. And you're not using all your emotional tools to heal it. You're using them to hurt other people. So what happens next is the shocked person becomes a little shocker. I've had people in here and they can be a little shocker. And some of you have dated those little shockers. Oh my goodness. And they're a person with unresolved shock. So you date that person and think, oh, they've had a list of bad boyfriends. I can heal them with all the love I can give them. All my kisses will make them forget all that they've been through. But they're a little shocker. And they're going to shock you. Because shock begets shock. You know all those begets in the Bible? 
Did you see the one shock begets shock? It's in there. They're dangerous to society. They're dangerous to your heart. They're dangerous to you. A person that's in shock gets into another relationship. They're going to bring shock into the relationship. You may be one of those little shockers and you don't know it. But you do things to jump out of your little cage. A girl who came through here. I look back now and I think she was dealing with shock. And she will shock you. She shocked every guy she dated. <laughs> she shocked me. It was tragic. Her life is turning out pitiful. She's unresolved shock. So much potential. Don't you hate that word? To wreck her life. The shock. This may be the girl. You find out she's dating two guys at once. It's a double life. Shock. One girl I knew, she sat there and she told me, I fixed and got him my bridal shower. I said, I didn't know you were engaged. She said, well, I am, but this is a bridal shower for the other guy. I said, what other guy? The one I have the ring from? I was like, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> she helped me in the radio. She was numb to all that. I got shocked. I was listening to testimonies, and she was telling me, help me. I'm fixing to go to a bridal shower, and I don't know what to do. You get engaged, they break it off weeks before the engagement because they're a shocker. You'll be at the wedding and they'll run. It's, they're in shock. Runaway bride. She would tell her story and her story all the time was victim. It was her victim thing over and over. She was a drama person, but she put the shock on the next person. Shock is very, very contagious. She had a bad case of it. She had plenty to give away. If you do the breaking up, you feel like you had a choice in it. But when she does it to you, it just happens to you. And you have to get shock off of you because you had no choice. It didn't just happen to you. The shock planned it. You gave her leverage. She felt powerful. She felt control. She had to say so. <laughs> She used all her emotional options to shock you and everyone else. Shock gets real personal. They will attempt to take your security away. They will give you security if you start to leave them. And just as you come closer, they slip it back away from you. They never let you have all the emotional cards. They always hold a card in reserve. They will give it and take it away real quick. Always holding a card. They don't trust. They can't give themselves completely to the one they love. They can't love. They're in a cage. And you realize shockers love to shock. And shockers become little shockers. They like shock. Shock numbs the pain for them. You realize I never had their heart to lose it in the first place. And sometimes that shocks you. You just keep getting shocked. There's just not enough of it. Don't talk to them. They'll shock you more. They have more to tell you that you didn't know about it. They're not okay. Your kisses can't fix it. It's a sense of dread, forebode. Sometimes you think you have an electric eel by the tail. Shock is something physically that happens to your body. I am telling you these triggers are physical triggers. You have to prepare to not be shocked. You have to resolve the shock in your life. From now on, I want you to write down, I will not be shocked by God's grace. I'm not going to live being shocked all the time. God did not expect you to live in drama. 
when I went into shock, you know what I lost? Precious time. That's what you sacrifice, precious time. When I went into shock, I lost precious time. I lost me. I had to get it prayed off of me. I had to get hope restored. Sometimes, Kyle, they drag you in there and they do mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. They try to get you feeling again. Sometimes they touch you and you start feeling, oh, I have an arm. It feels. I, I haven't felt anything. And this kid, I went to see him, and I could pray in the Spirit. He could tell me what I was saying. He was only like 11. When I prayed, and I told him, you know, I went on a trip. My dad told me, now, Angie, I'll meet you in the middle if the Lord's return comes. Now, even if you're on the other side of the earth, just don't panic, and I'm over here. We'll meet in the middle. He forgot to tell me there's a little gap. So I come home to my dad was here, and he's not here. And it was only a five-day trip. And so I go to this boy, and he says, oh, Angie, don't be shocked. Did I not tell you that you would be put in a new place of ministry? I had prepared it. Did I not tell you not to be shocked? So it wouldn't knock you down. It caught everyone else off guard. He starts speaking to me like this. And I'm like, did I not tell you? I was like, is that King James for what? Where did you come up with this? I was like, that wasn't exactly what I was thinking. You know, I wasn't expecting Elijah to go on the chariot. My dad knew I would be hanging from his feet. So he took off while I'm not here. But because of some things, it kept me from being shocked. I mean, I was shocked, but I wasn't shocked like everyone else got shocked. I had been discussing this with him and with the Lord. Like, I'm feeling this coming. Let me tell you, you're not made to be powerless. God is wanting to talk to you. It helps you to go ahead of time to see things coming. Ask the Lord to help you. I was realizing how many people around me are in shock. You can't win in the natural. There isn't anything you can do. You can't feed yourself enough, entertain yourself, travel. Nothing stops this. Y'all, you're one plan away from God telling you what to do about it. I saw a whole family in shock. Remember my idea? You gotta have your shock treatment. You gotta shock your shock. I shocked my brother. <laughs> Laying hands on someone in public, it shocks them. You, sh you start doing something, and then they'll tell yourself, I'm numb, I'm locked down. But if you lay hands on them in public, they come out of the shock. <laughs> The fear that gets on them, uh, fear of what you're going to do next. It scares them enough and they come back alive again. And I started realizing the word is like that divine shock treatment. You got to take the word and really start applying it to the area. People don't really expect you to do the word. I was on an airplane with an atheist and he goes, I know I met you because my mother's praying for me. Mm -hmm. I said, can I pray for you? He said, yes. He didn't know I meant right there. So in the aisle, I lay hands on this very handsome man that I was trying to recruit to Brownwood my lands. He played football in Montana. I was like, girls, we must, we must bring him to Brownwood. This atheist does not need to rot in hell. We must get this one saved. So I laid hands on him and I prayed for him right there. He went into shock. He was telling me his mother had been praying, but he wasn't meaning for me to pray for him right there on the spot. And y'all know the story. It was a hilarious story what God did for him. But it's exactly what happens. You put a shock to him, and it starts making him believe the word. Shock. That story ended up really funny. He said, I don't have a gift for my girlfriend. And I said, okay. 
and I laid hands on him. He came and found me in the terminal in Salt Lake City and said, it happened. It happened just like you said. It happened. He goes, I was walking along. And he said, I went to the vendor that sold flowers and it was empty. And he said, I was walking along and there laid a rose tightly in a bud with a little net sack around it, with a little feeder tube on it at the bottom. And he said, it laid there in perfect condition. And he said, I watched and nobody stepped on it. He said, I went over and picked it up. And he said, it was just like you said, you prayed that God would give me something for my girlfriend. He said, it happened. I said, it will. <laughs> you shock the shock. Usually atheists are in some kind of shock. You apply the word to the area. They don't expect it. There was a family in shock. It was too late. Disaster had hit them. And that's what exactly had happened in John 11. Mary and Martha were in shock. Disaster had hit. Jesus was too late. And he seemed like he was proud of being late. Like he thought that was the right thing to do to friends. And they were appalled at Jesus. He's a shocker. You shock. You do shock with hope. I called the family on the cell phone. And I talked to them. I don't know. They're in shock. He thanked me for calling him later. He said, it saved my life. You called me. Called him from overseas. And when I did the shock, the shock, the shock, it worked. I came home. Everybody was in shock. So I got the son to read John 11 in the Bible. And they started reading that part where Jesus started, like Pat said, get on the believing Jesus train. I said, let's just believe Jesus. So I called everyone together and I started telling miracle stories and told them we serve a resurrection God. And they started getting excited. Like you could see that they were excited until they found out that I was going to go pray for the person <laughs> that they were about publicly. And then they came out of their shock and they became alive because they read John 11 and they were like, she's crazy. Like we knew it, but she's real crazy. Like she really believes this. This is what brings a shocked world out of it. When they realize they look you in the eyes and you're not quite okay in there. Like you really think God's telling you the truth. It's like what I used to look at with my dad thinking. He really believes that. Why does he have my dead duck in his hand? Why is he praying the duck died last night? I don't get why my dad's doing this. All of a sudden, I entertained the possibility and they remembered who they were. They remembered the miracles God had done. The excitement wasn't exactly peaceful excitement. It was scared out of their mind what Angie had planned. They didn't know that I was going to say, now go forth. We're going to do this. Everyone was scared it might work. They were ready for the grand finale. Because when everybody left, I brought them in. Guess what? It brought everybody out of the shock. When they started reading the Word of God, John 11, and they started seeing Jesus say, Come forth! It started getting their spirit excited. When they realized that was my idea, that I was going to do that, I didn't have my mind on a hole in the ground. I had my eye on pulling them out of the hole in the sky. <laughs> they were like, this is not what we were expecting. I'm the little shocker. But let me tell you what we call this. What do we call it, gang? We shock up. <laughs> the devil shocks down. God shocks up. Hope.
the little bubble in the fish. The surprise that you can't believe God gave you. The flower that's in the airport terminal because that crazy girl prayed for you. You got to bring shock to a dead generation. Excitement. We had options. We're a family of faith. We'd seen miracles. There was a gift of grace on us. There's a gift of faith. I knew my God. I am not powerless. I have options. This is how I'm going to bring this to a close. You have two areas that shock enter your body. Plug them. Think of the two openings in your body that let shock in. Your eye gates and your ear gates. Put a cork. Plug them. I forgot to tell my waitress today. She goes, there's no way. You can't help what you listen to. We walked in a restaurant today, and I was like, I heard this line. I thought, I don't think I just heard what I heard. It was a dirty joke. And I've been witnessing to my waitress, because she's a believer, and I scared her because <laughs> the Lord has started talking to me about her, and the Lord told me she was in a valley of temptation. This was about a month or two ago, so I told her, why is the Lord talking to me about you being in temptation? She turned white as a sheet. She goes, God told on me. God told on me. God told on me. And so she's been like shocked. And I said, I must have some kind of authority with you or God wouldn't be speaking to me about you. And so she came to me and each time she's been saying, I've been doing really good. I've been doing good. I've been doing good. She has this big smile on her face. But today I come by and she had a big smile on her face, but it wasn't the right reason. So this man was telling his two cute waitresses his dirty joke. Now this is the difference between Steph and I. I hear a line and I said, waitress name? I didn't call it. I said, what was that guy to me? Oh, he told me a dirty joke, but boy, was it funny. We said, ask him what church he goes to. Now, this is the difference between Steph and I. Steph and, and myself. His brother Jacob calls her Steph and I. She is observant. She goes, oh, he goes to church with us. Now, see, Steph knew what church he went to. I heard the joke. So we put the two together and let our waitress deliver it. <laughs> you got a shock. And our, my waitress says to me today, she goes, well, you can't help what you listen to. She goes, but that sure was funny. And I said, there's a verse that says, be careful what you listen to. Because there's two gates. And if you shut these down, you've got to put the word on them. Watch this. What your eyes see will drive you mad. He'll add more to it. It'll make you bewildered. It'll make you crazy. It'll make that record go around and around and around in your head. You can't get it to shut up and can't get it to stop. And it goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. It's like a clicker on TV. It clicks the scenes and you can't make them stop. And you see these images before you. Let me tell you, you need a prayer for your eyes. Something your eyes saw was horrible. And you got to get that image out of your head. I pray this verse. My eyes will not see disaster. I will not see it. Pray preventatively. From this point in life, if there's something you're scared you're going to see, start praying. I will not see something that terrorizes me. I will not see something that shocks me. My eyes are made to see peace. A prayer for your eyes. My eyes will not see disaster. And a prayer for your ears. My ears will not hear evil tidings. My ears will not hear evil tidings. Psalm 112.7. And it says, your ears will not hear evil tidings. So sometimes I tell myself with that phone ringing in the night, 
I will not receive evil tidings. Sometimes I grab my ears and say, these are not made for bad news. When I'm fearing that something's about to happen, I grab my ears and I start commanding, you are not made for evil tidings. Eyes, you're not made to see disaster. Let me give you the verse for the eyes. Deuteronomy 28, 34. Part of the curse of the law. It's what the devil means to do when you're cursed. There the Lord will give you an anxious mind, eyes weary with longing and a despairing heart. You will live in constant suspense, filled with dread both day and night, never sure of your life. In the morning you will say, oh, if only it was evening. And in the evening you'll say, oh, I just wish it was morning. Because of the terror that will fill your heart and the sights that your eyes will see will drive you mad. Curse the law, Deuteronomy 28, 34. Galatians 3.13 says, And Christ died on the cross to redeem you from the curse of the law. So guess what? Your eyes get redeemed. By the blood of Jesus, your eyes are redeemed. Deuteronomy 28.34, Galatians 3.13. I read the curse to see what I'm redeemed from. I'm redeemed from going crazy because of what my eyes see. That's part of my redemption. That's what is the curse that Jesus bore for me. you got to pray over your eyes that you will not see this disaster. Psalm 91, 16. It says, the word for salvation. I always wonder how it ends with, now will behold your salvation. Think what the Hebrew word means. Think what it's describing. Behold is describing the act of seeing. Isn't that great? Behold is such a great word. Behold. Let it come in. Let this come into you. Let yourself see this. Behold it. It's the act of seeing. How would you give language to the act of seeing? The trail between your eyes, what they see that's out there, back to your brain, gives it meaning or interpretation. And this, my friend, is the act of beholding. The act of seeing. So you're saying, behold... I will do the act of seeing something out there, bring it all the way back, interpret it, and give it meaning, and behold it. Your eyes will see what the Lord is doing. You will behold His hand. I will behold His salvation. I will behold the fact that salvation means healing. I will see His healing. I will see His deliverance. I will see His victory. I will see his rescue. I will see the welfare. I will see the prosperity. I will behold his salvation. I suddenly understood. Psalm 91 went out with the bone. I realized that this just as easily could be translated, I will see the victory with my eyes. I am not going to see the onslaught of the enemy. I'm not going to see where the devil takes everything that was meant to be good in my life and makes it bad. I'm not going to see everything turn out wrong. I'm not going to see failure. I will see the salvation of my God. I will behold it. I will take it in. This is not a bad ending story. My life is not a bad ending. I will not fail at my assignments. I will not go down. I cannot be taken out. I get better with age. I increase in my wisdom. I grow stronger as the years go by. More life is given to my mortal body. Oh, I serve the resurrection. Do you see the difference? God will get the shock off of you because you shock up. But you've got to be willing to do the work. You've got to speak into this. Get that shock off of you. 
in that stunned disbelief, Esther, wake up. It will get in the palace with you. <laughs> They'll chase you down. That spirit is after you. It is a temptation to let that spirit slip in the palace walls, just like Solomon said, the lizards are in the palace. You can't protect yourself. You can't build a palace strong enough to protect you. Shock up. That's God's way. He's the only one who could do it. It is hope that restores the ability to have faith. Amen. We'll stop there.